If you have a Bible, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. If you don't have one, we're going to put, put these verses up on the screen for you. Last week we began uh, a series where we're just going to go uh, verse by verse um, as God kind of leads us through this letter. Um, we may cover some sections faster than others. Um, and I, I was trying to think of a way to quickly recap uh, where what we talked about last week, but there's just no way. And so you'll rarely hear me do this, but um, listening to last week's podcast would be a good move because um, we just we went through the the historical setting of this letter um, and how Second Corinthians is actually Fourth Corinthians. Uh, so if that's intriguing to you and you weren't here, then you know, go look it up. But we just kind of got into what was going on and basically, um, without try, even trying to sum it up, let's just say this: um, Paul's relationship with this church was full of drama. Uh, he lived there for a year and a half, established the church. Um, moved on to another place to establish another church after having trained up all these leaders. And it was just, they, the church just had a lot of issues. And um, so these letters were, were Paul continuing to try and teach them and shepherd them from far away. And things got misconstrued. And so he'd show up in, per- uh, in person and there'd be all this drama when he went in person and all this stuff. And um, Bottom line is that Paul loved these people. Paul saw God at work in these, in their lives, and their lives were, they were so messed up, but he, he saw that God began something in this group of people, and God's going to finish it all the way, and there's just grace all over him. And, and really, because he had so much faith in God and what he had done in them already, he really pushed them into holiness and purity and, and ministry. It's just a very beautiful thing. And so here's this letter that, that he's, is writing to him, and, um, he's waiting to hear back uh, from uh, Titus on on the latest on how things are going, he begins to write this letter. Um, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to do verses 3 through 11. And uh, let's just read it straight through. We'll go through little by little. It says, uh, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. We do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Now, there's there's two um, two recurring um, words in here that 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 
we really need to have a good grip on. Um, the first one is affliction. And probably when you hear the word affliction, you know, some things come to mind. Um, and it means exactly what you're thinking of. So when I say affliction, and you think that's correct. See, sometimes Greek isn't that hard. It comes from a Greek word, thelipsis, uh, which means a pressing together or pressure. And the root word is used um, to describe what you would do whenever you pressed grapes, like to make wine or anything like that. Like, you think about it, like, you ever felt like you were being pressed like a grape? Like just being just crunched down? And like when you make wine, I don't know if you ever make, made wine before, my grandfather was a, he was a muscadine wine dude. I mean, that was why he grew them. Uh, he didn't like to eat them off the vine. He liked to make wine out of them. And so he would take them in these buckets, and he would just mash them and mash them and mash them. And it was kind of troubling uh, because it's in this, like, dirty old five-gallon bucket from the back of the barn or whatever. And, uh, you know, he never didn't wash it. You know, it wasn't a very clean process or whatever. But he would just smash them and smash them. And he would sit there just for hours and just apply all this pressure uh, to get all of the juice out and to separate all the juice from the pulp as much as he could. Um, and so when we talk about affliction, that's that's what it's... That's what it's like. That's what we're supposed to conjure up is, is the, the pressure that you feel um, that's just like bearing down on you. Um, this can be literal or figurative. Okay? It can be literal pressure, uh, like literal affliction that you're walking through. And maybe that would be like you know, some kind of, of persecution or different things like that, especially in Paul's case. But it could also be figurative. This could could also be used for just that emotional pressure that we feel. And sometimes when you're just you're just going through life and um, you have just those things, like money tends to bring affliction on people where you really just feel like you're just burdened. And it's not money itself, it's it's something else. You know, money itself is not evil, it's the love of money and it's all this stuff, whatever. But a lot of times people just a financial picture is very burdensome for, for people. There's just uh, relationships can sometimes just just be that way. Um, sometimes it, it's work, and sometimes it's all this stuff. And, and there are times too when when uh, like just our spiritual lives, okay, which is really all of life. I, I understand that. But when I say spiritual lives, I'm talking about like your relationship with God. When it, when even that is a source where you really feel like you're just being afflicted, you know, like you're you're trying to to change, you're trying to grow, you're trying to be sanctified, you're trying to to um, to be obedient and faithful in all the things that you desire. You're trying to pursue holiness, and it just is not happening. You know, and you're just like, what's going on? I don't understand. So, literal or figurative, pressure, burdens. Um, that's the affliction that's being described here. Um, now, the other other side of the other word uh, would be comfort. And that comes from a Greek word, uh, paraklesis. Um, it's rooted in another word called parakaleo. Um, and it means a, a calling near, a summons for help, and to call to one's side. So comfort is, is being like, hey, hey, come see. Hey, let me, let me tend to you. Hey, once you, once you come near, and let me, let me, I'm going to call you to my side. So that I can help you. That's what comfort is. 
And, and our word comfort comes from a Latin word, it, and it, it means uh, to make strong together. To make strong together. Hey, come see. So we have affliction, okay, pressure like a grape. You're like, I'm being, I feel like I'm being crushed like a grape. And then there's comfort. So, hey, come see. Let's, let's together bring about strength in this. All right? So with both of those things in mind, let's kind of go through these verses together. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Okay? Now, mercies right there, sometimes um, some of your, the other translations say Father of compassion. And so kind of bring compassion in with mercies there. Because it's a word that can kind of go either way. And I would say, well, let's just let it mean both. Father of mercies, Father of compassion. I, I, I love that idea. You know, that he's, he's the Father of compassion. Like He is the overseeing authority relationally of compassion, of mercies. And He's the God of all comfort. And so you, you, you put that, that together, and what's being communicated here is that from compassion flows a loving comfort of a father. So God is compassionate, and He acts and acts on that compassion by bringing comfort by saying, "Hey, come near." I mean, like what a what a beautiful description of God for us. What a beautiful way of thinking about. The God that we sing to and pray to and, and have, have been redeemed to have a relationship with again. Such the opposite of, of the way God is portrayed so many times. He's the Father of compassion, and that motivates Him to offer comfort. And I love that how it says, God of, of all comfort. See, all means all. So all comfort that is offered is under the authority of God. And that flows from the compassion of a father. Okay, so all these things are together. And so this, this first sentence, he's, he's setting the tone for what is, what is about to come. So he's opened up his letter and he's basically said in verse 1, Hi. And then in verse 2, saying grace and peace to you. And we covered that last week. Wow, that's such an amazing thing that he could say that because of this drama. And he jumps right in, right into it right here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. I don't know about you, but I, I just, I just kind of want to sit under that, you know. And so many times I, I think we're, we're intimidated by Bible study and we're like, I need to be in the Word. I need to have, you know, a quiet time or a time alone with God or whatever, whatever you want to call it. And, and I think sometimes like, I don't know where to start. I don't know how to do that. And I don't have all these books. And I didn't go to seminary and all this kind of stuff. And all you really need to do is sit down and take a verse like that and say, hmm, the God of all comfort. And just meditate on that and think about that all day. 
That's, that's letting the Word transform your life. It, it really is as, as simple as that. The Father of mercies. The Father of compassion. God of all comfort. Okay, so he's established where he's coming from with this. And he's established the character of God and who God is. Now, he goes on in verse 4. Okay, the Father of mercies, God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Okay, and all means what? All. In all our affliction, okay, all of our pressures, all the things that squish us like grapes. Okay? Who comforts us, calls us near, in all of our affliction, our experiences that are putting pressure on us, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now, sometimes Paul, to me, um, he gets uh, kind of wordy, you know, like, like sometimes I have to read something several times and be like, okay, this, you know, kind of like, like I need to diagram these sentences in order to understand them. And so here's, here's what he's saying. God sees us being squished like grapes, afflicted by whatever, okay? External things, internal realities, emotions, thoughts, I mean, whatever it, whatever it is. He sees us there, and because he is the father of compassion, he responds with comfort and draws us near. He says, hey, come here. Let me, let me tend to you. Let's bring about strength together in this. So that, okay, and it says right here, um, so that we may be able to, other translations say, enabling us, so, so we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Okay, any means what? All. See what I did there? Those who are in any affliction, or all affliction, with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. So, um, I'm going through something. God tends to me. I'm sent out into the lives of others who are being afflicted, and I pass on to them what was given to me. So you go through, you go through something, some kind of affliction, some kind of suffering, some kind of something terrible, you experience this, just this real, just tender care of the Father of compassion. And then you enter a conversation with a friend or a coworker or a stranger, and they are being afflicted too. It, it may not be by the same thing. It doesn't even matter. It says any affliction, whatever. It's all the same, right? Because any affliction means all affliction. It kind of just lumps it all into one deal. So you were afflicted, and you maybe are still being afflicted, still under pressure, but you're also being comforted. And here's a person over here who's being afflicted with no comfort. So you say, I know what it's like to be comforted. That person needs comfort. I know what it's like because I have been comforted. So I will pass that on to them. I will bring them into the comfort that God offered to me. And so what he's saying is, okay, suffering, affliction, is, is an equipping Time, an equipping experience for us. Now, a lot of times we don't we don't see it that way because when you're being afflicted, you just like you're just mad, right? You just you just don't care. And our natural default is to become very self-centered in that. And and I 
I intentionally like intentionally use that word self-centered. I believe that there are absolutely you need to be taking care of yourself and your heart and your mind, you and the Lord working through those things. I'm not saying that we should not do that. But see the the comfort that God offers us when he draws us near, it we it doesn't terminate with us. It doesn't stop here. It goes on to someone else. And as it goes on to someone else, the glory is passed on to God where everything ends. Matt Chandler talks about that all the time. It's one of his, his things he comes back to a lot is what's the termination point? Well, see, comfort comes from God and it does not terminate with us. It comes to us, through us, to other people. And they in turn glorify God so it actually comes back around to Him. And so our self-centeredness usually happens is that we try to make it terminate with us and stop with us and be all about us. Instead of realizing from a kingdom perspective, from a Jesus perspective, okay, this thing that you're going through is going to create this really unique and beautiful and personal experience that you're going to have with God. That is not at all about you. It's going to build you up. It's going to encourage you. It's going to equip you. It's going to do all these things. But that has everything to do with taking care of others, glorifying the Lord, and your own growth and sanctification in this. Now, that's a big shift for us to think of suffering and affliction as being a time that's beautiful, that equips us. And Paul, I mean, he's so frustrating sometimes because... That's what he talks about, you know, he's like, I rejoice in my sufferings. Like, what's wrong with you? Who rejoices in suffering? But it's because he's passing on what he has learned. He's discipling this church. He's mentoring this church through this letter. And what he's doing is he's teaching them based on their own experience. And that's what mentoring and discipleship looks like. So, um, you just say put, let me read you this in Romans 5. This is Paul also writing to a different church. It says, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Another translation said, hope does not disappoint. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. God's love has been poured into our hearts. And so, he's teaching them, and and by the sovereignty of God through the Scriptures over time is teaching us as well, suffering is not in vain. Suffering, it has a purpose. And even if you never know what the purpose is in your, in your own life, you can never like look back and say, I went through this because of this. It, it really doesn't matter. What matters is us knowing that progression plays out that suffering produces endurance, which produces character, which produces hope. Hope never disappoints. 
Because hope is all about the love of God being poured into our hearts. So this is a process by which God loves us. So, as we suffer, as we are afflicted, the Spirit of God literally tends to us, calls us near, and offers that strength that only is going to come through doing things together. We, we can't walk through life and experience really great things and really difficult things thinking that everything is about us. And so, like you might be here tonight and be like, I'm not suffering, things are awesome right now. Okay, cool. It will not stay that way. So you might really be needing to take some notes for your own future. You might be in the middle of something right now where you're like, uh, I'm in the being squished by a great category. Or you may be walking through affliction with someone else, and you're like, I have no idea what to offer this person. I have no idea like what to say or what to do or how to act. And this verse says, yes, you do, because you yourself have been comforted. So you know what comfort's like, and so you offer that based on your own experience. Ever had somebody, like you're going through something and somebody like comes and gives you a verse? And sometimes they might be like, God gave me this verse for you, you know? I'm always like... That's literally what I do. I'm always like weird, weirded out by that, you know? That's just me being a jerk. But, what... What's usually going on is that is a verse that as they were praying for you, they came across it. But more likely than not, it's a verse that has meant something to that person. And so God has comforted them and said, has said, hey, come see. Come here. Let me tend to you. And he's used that verse to comfort. And that verse has become one that's like underlined or highlighted or whatever uh, in their own Bible. And it's become one that they memorize and they really know. And they're passing it on to you because that is how God comforted them. Because that comfort doesn't terminate with them. It terminates with His glory. And that's showing up in your own life. So the next time someone says, no matter how they present it, when things come your way, maybe that's what people are doing. Maybe that's the church, us just taking care of each other the way we're supposed to. So, look at verse 5. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. All right? Now, when it says Christ's sufferings, we're not talking about like Calvary. All right? I'm not saying that we died on the cross uh, with them. That's not the sufferings he's talking about. He's talking about the sufferings that come with our, um, with, with us living life as as His. The things that we suffer for His church, the things that we suffer for His kingdom, for His namesake, um, things that are, are a result of our faith in Him. Now, you might not really think like, "Oh, I don't, you know, I don't really suffer very much." Um, this is another one where it could be it could be circumstantial. Um, you probably have people that think you're a weirdo because you're a Christian. You can deny it all you want. You have people that think it's weird 
that you are as devoted as you are to Jesus, to his, his church. Some of you have family members that think our church is absolutely nuts. One, because we have the name The Ring. It sounds like, you know, a cult or uh, the horror movie or Lord of the Rings or something like that. And it's not, none of that, really. It's a whole other weird reason we're called The Ring. Uh, some people think we're weird because we meet at night. Some of you, you have family members that really just that don't understand. And they, they literally give you like a hard time about leaving things on Sundays to get here in time for church about blocking off every Tuesday or Monday night to be in a community group, about every time somebody moves, you'd like to do all that you can to like be there to help do things. And they think it's real admirable and stuff, but they just kind of think that it's weird. But some of you, like you're, you're the Christian guy at work. You're the Christian girl at work. You're the goody two-shoes who doesn't like do certain things or whatever, and you don't go out with all your coworkers, and you don't participate in some of the same things, and you don't, you know, same conversations or whatever. And, and there are times when, admit it, it's, it's weird for you to be that way. Maybe even to the point where you kind of sell out sometimes. And so some of that is, is external stuff that's associated, like because you're associated with Christ, some of that is like would be the sufferings that he's talking about here. And some of it is just the emotional stuff that you go through. What that's like for you at work or within your families and stuff. Some of this suffering is gonna is really talking about the uh, the sanctification process. Because sometimes it's really really difficult when you're just letting God just pick apart all your sin issues and show you how to walk in holiness and 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 you know just the ups and downs and the stumbling and falling and the the uh, you know the having to confess things to one another and ask for prayer and pride versus humility. And there's all these things that are going on and some of it like it just it can just wear you out. And that falls under this category too because you're saying, because I am His, I'm going to go through this. And this might be hard or weird or uncomfortable or whatever, but I'm going to go through it. And so when he's talking about like sharing in Christ's sufferings, I mean, it, it's, it's a big umbrella. Anything that we endure externally or internally because we are associated with Christ. And so what he's saying, as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, okay, the sufferings associated with Jesus are abundant. I mean, there are many. We live in a country where it doesn't really cost us that much. You know, it costs us, you know, maybe, you know, things being awkward at work, or it costs us some time or some money or, you know, whatever. Um, there are countries where it'll, it'll cost you your life. Now, we should not walk around and be, feel all guilty about that, you know, and stuff, you know, whatever. It, it, it is what it is. But we share abundantly in his sufferings, and we r- remain in a place where we say, okay, well, it doesn't cost me anything right now that's of tremendous value. Uh, you know, it's just little things here and there. But perhaps one day, like, the cost is going to go up. And it doesn't matter where the cost is, I'm, I'm willing to pay it. That's really what, what is important. So that being abundant, he says, so through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. So the abundant comfort that comes through Jesus to us, trumps everything else that we suffer. So there's there's not a single thing that we're going to walk through that will not be trumped by the comfort of God. So I'll suffer whatever it is. You see, this, this is supposed to bring hope in, into, our, into our hearts and our minds. 
Is he saying, okay, you think your suffering is abundant? Well, guess what's more abundant than that? The comfort that comes. Because the suffering will come to an end. The comfort of the Lord is never, ever going to end. It's awesome. Next verse, verse 6. If we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. So he's saying, look, whether we're going through affliction or going through comfort, it's for, it's for the good of the body of Christ that we go through it. If we're being afflicted, it just means that the comfort is on the way and everybody wins. And if we're comforted because we're all going through the same stuff, we all win because we're all being comforted. That constantly the Lord is drawing us near, drawing us near, drawing us near, over and over and over and over again. And He's tending to us and we're passing it on. He's tending to us and we're passing it on. And this whole process just glorifies Him and glorifies Him and glorifies Him because He just loves us and loves us and loves us. It's win, 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 win. Now, I'm not at all trying to act like that means that if you're going through suffering, you should just like love it. I think that's something he cultivates in us and grows in us. I think Paul is passing this on. Because look at verse 7. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you also share in our comfort. He's saying, like, look, nothing you can tell me about what you're going through is going to shake the fact that I have hope for you. Because I know the comfort that is coming. I know who God is. He's the Father of mercies and compassion, the God of all comfort. And I will not be shaken away from this. And we talk about this sometimes in community, that there are times when we have faith for one another. And we stand in the gap for each other because there are times when you're going to go through something and you're like, I just don't know that I have the faith to push through this. And there's 12 people in your community group that are like, we don't care if you have the faith. Because we have the faith for you. That's what he's saying. Unshakable faith. So if you are here and you are going through something and you are suffering, you are being afflicted, um, that's like where you are. The body of Christ is where you need to be turning. If you're walking through these things with someone, body of Christ is where you need to be leading them, steering them, bringing them. Now, last week, we talked about the historical background and stuff. One of the things going on in this church was Paul's credibility was being questioned and, and he was being mocked to the point where he shows up in, in person to try to handle some things and he's completely rejected. And they make fun of him and they take cheap shots at him and and, and suffering was like, that was like one of their big points. These people that were fighting for power and they didn't want Paul to, to be the, the, the big dog or whatever and they were trying to take over and stuff. That's one of the things they were saying. They were like, if this person was really saved, um, if Paul was really saved, he would have a blessed life. He would not have all this suffering and all these hardships and his boat crashes and all this. He wouldn't have, all this stuff wouldn't be happening to him. And, and with that comes this whole idea of, of karma, and there's also so much karma in our theology, and we really kind of get trapped up in it sometimes where we're like, man, things are going well. God must be happy with me. 
And then when things start going bad, we're like, I must have made him mad. You have a flat tire, and you're like, oh, man, I hadn't read the Bible in three days. So God was like, I'm going to get your attention by making your tire flat, you know? Uh, sometimes people just leave nails in the road. I mean, that's just really just you know, what happens, whatever. Um, and so, so, so here's Paul, year and a half investing in this church, building them up, strengthening them, getting the leaders ready. All these problems are happening, and that's one of the things that, one of the problems is that these, these guys that are fighting for power, they're being very effective in their persuasion. Hey, Paul's not that great. He doesn't really know, and he has all, this, all these problems and all this, you know, whatever. So you would think that in his letter, he would just have every reason to, um, to be like pleading his case and really kind of putting up a front, like, hey, you know, like everything's cool. I'm suffering, but it's because I'm hardcore, you know, or whatever. Like he, you would think that he would really be be trying to um, to establish this this front, this personality that he would be kind of in uh, opinion management, you know, mode where he's really trying to do that. But the next couple of verses, Paul does something that, that to me is is very interesting. Makes it probably something that like like his PR rep was probably like, no, 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 you should not do this. He gets incredibly honest. about his own experience with affliction. Now, let me just read this to you. This won't be on the screen. In Acts 18, um, when this church first got started, uh, he rolled into Corinth, and he Paul, he would pick a fight. And he was, so he goes in the synagogue starts preaching Jesus. That doesn't go over very well. And so um, he goes in there and stuff, and they eventually, it says they opposed him and they reviled him. That's a strong word. And he got really frustrated, and, he's, and he, he found some other Christians, and they started this house church. And in uh, Acts 18, this is uh, Jesus talking to him. It says, The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. No one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. So Jesus comes to him and says, Don't be afraid, keep on going. Because I'm with you. Now, that experience, I believe, is a part of what he is trying to pass on. He's saying, I know that you're suffering. But we go and you read that, and that was maybe his his like his come see moment. His personal experience where Jesus comes in and says, Hey, come here. Don't be afraid. Keep doing what you're doing. I'm I'm with you. It's gonna be okay. And I think that this passage of Scripture is actually what we're, we're reading, what he's been teaching them. So I think, I think in 3 through 7, he's talking about suffering, how it doesn't terminate with us, and it's passed on to others. And in 8 through 11, he, this is the passing on that happens. Good says. says, for we do not want you to be ignorant. Okay, now when he says we, uh, there's, there's some debate. This letter is written from, from him and from Timothy. So it could be he, he and Timothy. It could be him as in, like, we we believers. It could be him as we, the apostles. We really aren't sure. We won't get hung up on that. Um, For we not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. Now, we don't know what that is. And different smart people have a couple of different ideas and stuff like that. And, but one of the ones that is the most accepted is the fact that um, he kind of got, got sent from, uh, like, Jewish council to Jewish council. Because he kept getting in trouble with teaching in the synagogues and stuff. 
And what they did, um, whenever you got in trouble there, they would sentence you to the 39 lashes or to be hit with rods. And so the flogging that Jesus got, it was think along those lines. And so this had happened to him and happened to him and happened to him, and he kept getting in trouble. And, and so some people think that that's what he's talking about. And he's like, look, he's writing this letter to people that he didn't need to explain it to them because they know. We would like more detail, but he just has to reference the affliction we experienced in Asia. And these readers knew what he was talking about. For, and then, this to me is chilling. Listen to the despair, the emotional, spiritual despair. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Okay? Look at that again. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. We felt like we had received the sentence of death. This is Paul, right? This is Paul, the church planner, the missionary. This is him saying, like, what I went through, I, I just wanted to die. I was so burdened, I had no strength. I just wanted to die. Now, maybe it was from the physical beatings. Some of the other possibilities deal more with emotional situations. We don't know, and I think that's on purpose. Because I think, I think we're supposed to try and identify with the Scriptures in different ways and I know this room fairly well, and I, and I know humanity well enough to know that we've all been at points like this. We're just like, I've never been this low. I've never hurt like this. I've never felt like this. I've never wished that I would just hear a loud trumpet blast, you know, in the in the sky, and like people will start rising up or whatever. I never wished the Book of Revelation would come true uh, more than right now. I've never wished that I would just go home to be with Jesus because it's easier than this. And that's that's what he's saying. Paul, the great one. And he says this, verse 9, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God. He raises the dead. He says, what I went through to make me rely on Him. See, when you're when you're at death's door, you let go of all self-reliance. You start talking to people who are chaplains with hospice, and they're we're with people in those those last days and hours, and just consistently over and over and over again, people come to know Jesus in those times. And I believe that's a part of why is because you've been trying all your life to do it on your own, do it on your own. You get to that point and you accept the fact, look, this is about to end. And I don't think it's about getting into heaven. I think it's like, I can't do this. Paul says, Every, all this stuff that I've gone through was to make me rely on Him, not on myself. And when I read that earlier, I was thinking like, why, why wait until you're almost dead. Maybe that's a part of what he's saying. 
It's like you don't need to get to the point where you're despairing of life and you just want to end and you're just like, man, maybe God sentenced me to die. And you're that miserable and that low. Why wait till that point? Let go of that self-reliance now. Make a rely on God who raises the dead. Passion album that came out a while back has this line and it says, only you can raise a life. And that's just stuck with me so much. Like, all right, there's a lot of things we can do. We can't make that happen. We can't raise lives. Sometimes that's what affliction feels like. Verse 10. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. See, that kind of rescue, it it breeds confidence in the character of God and the faithfulness of God. And that's why you have people, like when you're suffering, you're being afflicted, and people look at you and they say, this is going to be okay. And God is going to bring you out of this. And you just want to punch them. You just want to be like, that's the worst thing anybody's ever told me. People who have that kind of boldness have, have been there. And saying, you may not have faith or that, that you feel like you need, you may not be where you want to be, but I have it for you. I'm going to tell you. And one day you're going to come to me and you're going to say, hey, you were right. And it has nothing to do with, with, with being cocky. It has everything to do with the fact that we know who our God is. He will deliver us. Underline it. He will deliver us. Like, I want to be that guy on the front end of my suffering experiences, of my affliction. When I start feeling that pressure creep up, I'm like, oh, feeling like a grape. I, I want my first my first response to be, he's going to deliver me from this. And the pressure may build, and the, the sanctification may be difficult, and this might be a, a tough season. But I know the character of the one who's in control of it. He will deliver me from this. And I'm going to let him, let him comfort me through this. When he says, hey, come see, I'm going to come see. When he says, hey, read this, I'm going to read this. When he says, hey, go talk to this person, I'm going to go talk to that person. When he says, let me just, let me love you, I'm going to let him. I'm going to pass it on to other people constantly. Pass it up. That's what he's doing here in 8 through 11. He's like, this is where I was, and this is what I learned, and I'm passing it on to this entire church. And he will deliver you again. Verse 11. You must also you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks in our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Okay? Now, this is a little bit confusing. And I'm not trying to, like, connect too many dots here. Basically what this is saying is that the rescue of God and the prayers of this church on their behalf are somehow mixed up together. You can be like, does prayer change God's mind? And If we don't pray, is the thing not happen? You ask all those questions, I'm just going to push them all aside and say, I have no idea. I mean, I have opinions, but this verse is saying, like, hey, this community prayed for us in our affliction and He delivered us and, and they need to know that. 
And this is proof that, that suffering needs to be a community event. I'm not saying, hey, come on up here and tell us, how, uh, here's the mic, tell us how you're suffering, all that kind of stuff. Um, what I am saying is the people in your life or part of your community need to know the affliction that you're going through. And you need to be ready to receive comfort from the Lord directly and also through the community that's around you. So, God is the Father of mercies. God of all comfort. Whether you're in it now, or you're going to go through it soon, or you're walking with somebody else through it, I mean, these are, there's so much meat in this text that we studied tonight. I mean, there's just so much there. All of it rooted in who God is, and what Jesus has done, and what they have sent the Spirit to do in our lives among us. Let's, uh, let's, let's pray. Father, what a challenge um, that comes from the scriptures tonight. I don't, I don't even pretend to uh, to say that I'm there and celebrating my affliction and my sufferings, but I have experienced, Father, you uh, you comforting me by drawing me near. You've done it directly. You've done it through the scriptures. You've done it through songs. You've done it through my community. You've done it through nature. You've done it through strangers. And I know I'm not the only one here that has experienced both affliction and comfort. Father, I, I pray that that whatever it is that you want us to learn from this text that you would just help us both as a church and individually to really just absorb that. The enemy would not come in and try to steal that. But God, that we would just walk in confidence of who you are and let everything else flow from there. That circumstances would just be circumstances. Emotions would just be emotions. The truth of who you are would be the rock that we build on. Psalm 34, 15 says, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. The Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. None of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked. Those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of His servants. None of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned.
all the way my savior leads me 